Tonight, uh, Pastor Randy is here. Pastor Randy, uh, maybe you, I know many of you listen to him on the radio, Journey in the Word at 4 o'clock. Uh, I really like the voice that intros and outros his program. <laughs> I know you guys do too. <laughs> but much better than that voice is the content of his program. So no, it's, it's a blessing to have uh, Randy on the radio here. And I know he's going to share some good stuff with us tonight. And I hope he's going to tell us why he named his church Cumberland Valley, because it's in Hagerstown, 70 miles east of here. So you're going to fill us all in on that, right, Randy? We had no idea there was going to be a challenge yet. That's the old, I was there first claim. You know, no. Um, so Randy had, can I, he had dental surgery. He had a tooth pulled today a few hours ago. And, oh, uh, go ahead, feel bad for him. No, suck it up. Come on. No, and, uh, and he actually wasn't sure if he was going to be able to come. Uh, he really, he, he, he called me yesterday and said, hey, listen, I got an abscess tooth. I, the doctor, they're going to pull it tomorrow. I don't know. And uh, what we decided to do was I said, I said, well, I'll prepare a little bit and you prepare and, and we'll see who the Lord wants to teach. And if you can teach, you can teach. If not, I'll teach. And the Lord wants him to teach because he's going to teach uh, as long as he can, as long as he can keep talking. So uh, welcome, Pastor Randy. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Uh, it's a blessing to have him an hour to, the, to, to our east. I love getting together with him, and we, we're always at conferences together and talking and kind of catching up, and it, it's, it's truly a blessing to have him here. And I would encourage you, if you're blessed by his radio program, just share it with him. It, it's good for him to hear stories of, of, the, of the messages that are touching the people because it, it lets him know that you know, you know, sometimes you wonder, is, is it doing anything? You know, so I would always encourage you, whether, whether it be Randy or anybody else, share with them, uh, if you can, via, via email or letter or something, just to let them know that you're, you enjoy their, their ministry. And not only that, they might pay. So those that aren't paying, we need to get them paying on the radio so we can uh, help support that a little bit, too. So, Randy, come on up and uh, tell us what the Lord has for us tonight. I told Rob today, he had texted me later in the afternoon, and he said, this was totally unanticipated, so I have to warn you, I'm going to stop if it starts hurting. Uh, the Lord has absolutely taken the pain away, which is just awesome. I mean, I thought when I came out of there, no big deal, and then the pain started, and it was like, oh, this is awful. This is just awful, and I was on the Novocaine yet, so it was like, this is going to be awful. And I just kind of posted on Facebook to our friends and said, hey, could you guys be praying for me? And within an hour, the Novocaine wore off, and as the Novocaine was wearing off, the pain was going away. And so the other piece of it was the bleeding, and I was, some of you guys I was talking to, I apologize, but I had gauze in my mouth. Uh, but as I took the last out, it's very little now, so, you know, the Lord has just got this all orchestrated. But Rob had texted me this afternoon, he said, so when are you going to make the decision on whether you can do this or not? And I wrote back and I said, well, how about 659? <laughs> and he said, well, it's okay. He said, can I use your notes since I don't have any? And I said, well, why don't we both walk by faith? I said, we'll both walk by faith, and we'll see which one the Lord decides he wants to speak tonight. So uh, obviously the Lord has just said, I can do this, so we're going to do it tonight. And I look forward to it. It's been a long day, i got to tell you that. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on chit-chat. But well, in fact, while, you, while I'm talking, why don't you turn to Proverbs 31? Go to Proverbs 31. But uh, it's been a long day. I, I, I am a big baby when it comes to things like this. You'd never know I spent 24 years in the Army because I whine and cry and complain, and my wife's got to baby me. But I was up nervous at 2 o'clock this morning knowing this was coming. So from 2 o'clock till early morning, I prepared my message for Sunday because I had nothing else to do. And then I went down because we were recording some of the broadcasts for the uh, radio station that we're, we had a couple of bad ones, and so I went down and recorded that this morning before I went in, not knowing what was going on, re-recorded it. 
and uh, actually took two messages and put it into one. And my guy said, how did you do that? I said, I don't know, but I really should start doing that for our services and we'll just play the audio because we'll accomplish a whole lot more than we do typically with as long as it takes. And I promise we'll try not to keep you that long tonight. But uh, anyhow, I'm excited to be here. And uh, if you guys are listening on the radio, I, I would encourage you to continue to do that, not just with you know, Journey in the Word, but as Rob said, with all these folks that are on there. You know, this is a work of faith that you all have undertaken, and it is. We had Rob up sharing with the board just the vision, you know, and how this came about. And it's an awesome, awesome testimony to all of us. You know, it's an awesome testimony to all of us that are looking and saying, well, what would the Lord have us do? You know, we're praying about things like translators in, in Hagerstown, and we don't have any money to do that. Then you hear your story. You know, it just wasn't there, and you just kept walking by faith. And so we're challenged by that. And so what a privilege it is. And it's a privilege for each of those that are teaching on the radio station to get to do that and to have an opportunity to reach into your lives with, with no other gain. I mean, there's no gain to this. It's an awesome ministry opportunity. I mean, what do we in Hagerstown gain by being on your station down here? We're not going to see people from down here come to the church. We're not going to see those kinds of things. We're not on there for that. We're on there because it's just an opportunity to bless you and to grow you and for you guys to get plugged into things. And I'm, I'm glad you're plugged in here. you got a great pastor and, and his wife. These guys are doing, I know they're doing terrific work down here. But it's great to hear others teach as well. And so uh, it's a real blessing. It's a real privilege. I was praying about what I should share. Every time I seemed to come down, I talk prophecy. And I actually was going to go through reasons for the pre-trib rapture. But, you know, I thought to myself, you guys are going to think that's all I do. And so I thought we would take a little bit of a detour. We're going to look at Proverbs 31. Specifically, if you go to verse 10, we're going to look at the Proverbs 31 woman, which I've been told that Rebecca is doing right now in a study with the ladies. But I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey that's a little bit different than what she's doing because the Lord really drew my heart to this as I was teaching it to the congregation. So ladies, with no offense intended tonight, uh, I'm going to spend very little time. You can draw on this as you wish for your lives individually, but I want to talk to you about a different woman. I want to talk to you about a woman who, who God absolutely desires these characteristics, these traits to be a part of her life. And the woman I'm speaking of is the Bride of Christ. Um, it was amazing as I was putting this together for our congregation as we went through Proverbs, I, I had never really seen that before. I had really never made that connection before. And as I was moving through, the Lord kept saying, this is what I desire in you guys. This is what I want. Now, let me say right up front, when we go through study like this and we look at these different characteristics, I'm not looking at you and saying to you at any point in time tonight that, oh, let's just dig in and be these things. You see, because that would be a wrong attitude because you and I and of ourselves can't be these things. We can't do it. But what we can do is we can yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit who has been sent into our lives to make us these things. And I believe when we look at this, just as we have when we look in Ephesians and we see Paul talking about uh, the husband and the wife and marriage to be a picture of what? Of, of the union of Christ and his bride, the church, that we see the same thing in this. And yet sometimes we miss that because we look so practically to what it means individually for us as, well, not for us, as ladies. I'm not changing, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> But for, for you ladies or for husbands to say, hey, this is what I really like to see, or for parents to look at their, their sons and their daughters, you know, to the daughters say, this is, this is what God desires of you to be, and to their sons to say, this is the kind of woman you should seek out. It's great admonitions. It's really good. But there's a bigger picture. 
there's a bigger picture. Let's pray again and then let's start. Father, we just thank you tonight. And as we dig into this, Jesus, just, just show us. Lord, just begin to take us through this and, and help us to see these beautiful connections and what you can do in us if we'll just let you. And so, Lord, we just give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this section from verse 10 to verse 31 pretty much deals with this issue. We know that this is uh, uh, being written down by King Lemuel. A lot of people speculate who that is. Many believe it's King Solomon. Could very well be. There's things in here that come up in the characteristics of a woman that, uh, you know, he, he certainly would have firsthand knowledge of just from his relationship with his mother, who is whom? Bathsheba, right? Could be, but we don't know that that's the case. We don't know that that is the case. It could just be someone else that, that God has inspired to write this. But no matter, King Lemuel is writing down these remarks that his mother has spoken to him about these things. And as we look at this final section, it's really what's called an acrostic poem. An acrostic poem, which is where each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Don't you love those kinds of things in scripture? I mean, to you and I, we don't pick it up because we're looking at the English. But to know that God did that in the Hebrew, you know, it just, it's almost like he's put his little, you know, you see these artists and they put a little signature in a little corner where only certain people can see it to know, hey, this was mine. This was my little flair to let you know I did this. And, and that's what I see when I see these things. But here's what she tells him and he's recounting this. He says in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. First of all, she begins by telling him to look for a virtuous wife. Find a virtuous wife. Now, literally, a virtuous wife is one who is capable, one who is diligent, one who is worthy, and one who is good. That's the meaning of that word, that they're capable, diligent, worthy, and good. And she tells him that the worth of this kind of woman is beyond compare. It's beyond any rubies. It's beyond the riches that, that you could find in this world. And indirectly, indirectly, she's counseling him not to settle for anything less not to settle for anything less. This is the kind of wife that Jesus is seeking for himself. He's seeking a, a virtuous bride. He's seeking a virtuous bride. That's why we're commanded in scripture to add virtue to our lives. I mean, we hear it in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 5. I'll just read this to you. We have a lot of verses, so I'll do that tonight. I'll just kind of read a lot of these, but you can write them down if you like. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. Add to it virtue, capability, diligence, worthiness, goodness. What a beautiful what a beautiful admonition to us that this is what God desires from us, these kinds of things. Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, he says that, that virtue is to be the central focus of our lives. It's to be the thing that we focus on in our lives individually and corporately as God's people. He says in, in Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. To meditate. Do you ever just stop as a child of God, as the bride of Christ? And we are the bride of Christ collectively, aren't we? And yet individually, we are part of that body that makes up the bride of Christ. But did you ever just stop and reflect on virtue? 
and to think about what that means in your life, what that means to the Lord as he sees us walking that out, as he begins to, to have that ability to work in us, to bring that about. You know, we live in a world today where virtue is not a, a treasured uh, attribute any longer, is it? It's, it's almost like it's cool not to be virtuous, you know, and we see all kinds of spin-off from that. And, and yet God says, man, this is the kind of purity that I want in my bride. And that's us. And then he goes on in verse 11. He says, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. So secondly, she tells him to look for a woman in whom he can have full confidence, someone who can be counted on to be by his side and to support him, someone who he can trust, someone who he, who, who he knows will cooperate with him and enhance his life so that he, he won't lack in any area of his life as a husband. Second part of this verse has, has a real special depth of meaning because it's a statement that implies that this kind of woman is an industrious one who through careful household management enhances their family's wealth. She's a contributor to that because of her diligence and because of her capabilities. The Hebrew word used in, in that verse for gain is a word associated with plunder or the spoil of war and the point being that the gain she brings to her family will be as rich and as bountiful as the spoils of war that they would gain in a battle. And her capabilities in business and domestic matters guarantees a, a rich profit and in the process brings a, a blessing as she inspires the confidence of her husband. But secondly in that verse is also implied that she's a contributor, that she's a contributor to the financial stability of the family. And that doesn't mean that she needs to be someone who's gonna go take a second job or to make ends meet, although that might be necessary at times, uh, and her willing to do, to do so, it speaks of her character. But at the same time, it's talking about the way that she lives her life, that she lives it in such a way that she doesn't undermine the financial position of her family. It's a woman who knows how to control her spending. It's a, a woman who doesn't do things that puts unnecessary financial pressure on her husband. She doesn't expect him to continually earn more so that she can have more. Again, I believe it's a picture of what God desires in us as the bride of Christ. At first, the bride, he wants a bride that he can trust. He wants a bride in whom he can trust, a bride that he knows will be faithful stewards of, of the family possessions that, that have been entrusted to us by our bridegroom. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You know, I have to tell you as a pastor, and I know it is for Rob too, I know his heart, but I know for me, one of the things that I always want to be accountable to in my fellowship is to know that, that I've been faithful, not just with money, but faithful in everything that, that God has entrusted us, faithful with the sheep. You know, a lot of pastors today, they're not being faithful with the sheep because they're trying to get out of everything what they can get out of it rather than being there to care for what God has entrusted to them. And I would say beyond just grieving the Lord's heart, they're missing a real blessing. There's nothing more blessed than to know that, you have, that you've cared for God's people, that you've faithfully taken care of the resources that he's entrusted to your care and, and to be found faithful in that. And I think that's Paul's heart. I think it's, it's a pastor's heart or should be, and I think it should be all of our hearts. You know, I don't care whether you're a mom or you're a dad. 
you know, a grandparent. God has entrusted sheep to you in many cases. Maybe they're this big and maybe they're this big. You know, my, my girls are now grown. My, my, my oldest has three, just gave us our third grandchild this year. And, and, and my other one is, is probably on her way to doing the same. But I look at these girls and I understand that they've now been entrusted to the care of their husbands. But at the same time, I still feel a sense of responsibility to do for them, to care for them, to do right things by them. And, and even now, so for us in the body of Christ, whether it be in our families or it be in the ministries that God gives to us, that we would be found faithful, that we would be found faithful with that. I don't know if you teach kids or, you know, if you're a greeter on a Sunday morning or you help clean the church or whatever it is, can the Lord look at you and say, you are a faithful servant. You're faithful. You're you're caring for that which he's committed to your care. Nobody else may see that as important, but you do. And so you're there on time. You're you're serving as, as God has called you to serve with all your heart. There's no task that you look at and think it's too menial to apply yourself to it. It's the idea. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, that ministry we have to each other in the body of Christ, the ministry that we have to people who walk through our doors or in our neighborhoods that we have the opportunity to, we have the the blessed privilege as Christians, as the bride of Christ, to minister the manifold grace of God to them. You know what? Boy, I want to be doing that, don't you? I don't want to be ministering legalism to them. I don't want to be ministering my ideas to him. I want to be in my grace because my grace lacks, you know. I always say, boy, I'm, I'm, my congregation's really glad that I'm not God. Because if I were, they'd all be in a lot of trouble, you know. <laughs> they'd all be in a lot of trouble. I'd be in a lot of trouble because I don't operate the way he tends to operate. But you know what? My heart is toward him. And I want to be able to minister to people the way he does as a faithful steward of these things. But secondly, in this also, we're, we're a bride that he's looking for that's to be a contributor, not a taker. A contributor and not a taker who, who imposes, you know, we shouldn't be a people who impose unnecessary and unscriptural burdens upon the family of which we're a part. Uh, the Bible tells us that we're to be fruitful branches. That, that's our call. We're to be fruitful branches, right? John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. You and I are to be fruitful in the family, just like this Proverbs woman. We're to be fruitful. Now, I always tell our folks at home that, you know, I, I have a different view of congregation life. And, and I know that, you know, I grew up in churches where the expectation was use it or lose it. Use the ministry gift God has given you. You're going to lose it, you know. And from the moment you walk through the doors, you were sized up for what you could give and what you could do. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I think it's a lot of nonsense. And I tell our folks all the time, you know what? When I look at our congregation, I understand that there are people that the Lord has brought to that congregation to minister to the people within that congregation. I know that there's people he's brought with us on a temporary basis, but he's sending them out to minister to somebody else. And I also know he's brought in hurting people who aren't in a position right now to minister because the Lord is dealing with them on the issues. And so there's seasons that we go through, but fruit trees go through seasons, don't they? You know, I live in the middle of the orchard country up near Gettysburg. And, and I love to drive over there in the spring when the blossoms are on, but I really love going over there in August when the peaches are July, when the peaches are coming in. Nothing like a Chambersburg peach. But you know what? I can't go pick that right now. If I went out there right now, I'd look at that orchard and I'd see a bunch of dead trees in my mind. But you know what? There's still sap flowing through those trees because it's about seasons. And so I understand and we all should understand that there's seasons. 
There are seasons of serving within the body of Christ and there are seasons of sitting. That goes back to my military experience, you know, in the army, and I'm sure it was the same, probably not as much in the SWAT teams, but it was for the military because you're always training for war. Uh, but you had times when you would deploy and you'd go out on field exercises, but then you'd have periods where you'd come back and you'd get things taken care of, you know, get, get yourself cleaned up, get a break, get, get refreshed, and then they put you in the classroom for a while, you know, a couple of months, and you're sitting in there. And so we rotate through these kinds of things, and that is all of our service. It's all of our service. That's good. That's what we all should be engaged in. But I would argue within that mix is also another group of people. None of you here, of course. But there's another group of people, and what they are, they're just takers. They come, and I'm not talking about coming just to take the word. They're just there because they want the social things. They're just there because they want to get something out of you. They're just there because, well, maybe the pastor can help me with this. You know, and, and I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying that's not the biblical picture we're given. You know, we're in one of the other three modes. But that's not to be our mode. That's not to be our mode because we're to be givers, not takers. So when you walk in here on a Sunday morning, instead of wondering who's going to greet you, think about who you can go and greet. Or, or when you're looking and saying, I got a need, well, maybe what you need to do is go minister to somebody in need first. And watch how God will take care of you in the process. Watch how he has a funny way of doing that. You know, we have some people in our congregation who just, I got to tell you, they just bless the socks off of me because... <laughs> They, they are some of the most delightful people in terms of just what they're willing to do, and they have nothing. They have nothing. I don't know how they survive with what they have, they, but they come and they ask nothing from us. There are people in the body who just will reach out to them. They will do nothing, but you know what? You have a soup night, you have something on it, and they're first ones to come in to share a pot of soup. Or they hear somebody sick, they're the first one at the door to go take it over there. See, that's the idea of being fruitful branches. That's the idea in mind here with this Proverbs 31 woman. This is us. And remember, we are given a lot of warnings in Scripture. I'm not going to take you there and darken this tonight. You can find them. But there's a lot of warnings about being fruitless. You know, a lot of warnings that Jesus gives in regard to that. And so that's not who we're to be. We're to be this Proverbs 31 woman. And the Holy Spirit will make us that if we'll let him. Look at verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So thirdly, she tells him to seek out a wife that is interested in and will always seek his welfare, not his harm. This kind of woman is an asset, not a liability to her husband throughout her entire life. In the Hebrew, all the days of her life means, anybody know? All the days of her life. Hey, you guys are Hebrew students. There you go. Or Greek students, right? You got it. You got it. Yes. In other words, the goodness that she does toward her husband, it, it doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't ebb and flow based on the mood she's in or what kind of, you know, necessarily even the way he's treated her. It doesn't depend. We used to have an expression in the Army, dots. Anybody know what that means? Dots. Depends on the situation. It doesn't depend on the situation. She does this all the days of her life. This is her heart. She supports she encourages, and she's faithful in helping him all the days of her life. And this admonition begs the question, how can a wife work evil against her husband? Well, lots of ways. She can continually resist everything that he decides, working against him in order to get her own way, right? We've all seen that in, in life with people we've known. She can work things behind his back to go against the things she knows he wants to do or has decided that the family should do, working against him in those things. She can completely disregard or ignore his will on a matter and, and do what she wants instead. She can put him down in public. Oh, I hate that one. 
So you can put him down in public, continually correcting his statements, minimizing him, mocking him in front of others, reinterpreting his statements, reinterpreting his thoughts and desires. And one of the most common is she can talk ill about him to others. She can talk ill about him to others behind his back. Again, here we see this this characteristic that that's to depict us as the bride of Christ, not these negative things, but the idea that we're there all the time, all the days of our lives, and our heart is to support our Lord, not to be a liability, but to be an asset, to proclaim his name, to hold him up, not to work against him. You know, we can do all these other things. We can resist the things he's decided in his word or that his Holy Spirit is putting on his heart. How many times have you been guilty? I have where I know that the Lord has said, I don't want you going this way. I don't want you doing this. And it's like, I want to do it anyways. It's wrong. It works against his will. Or how many times can we find ourselves, you know, working behind his back to do things that we want, knowing full well he wanted something else or disregarding his will on a matter or doing what we want or, or even in some ways reinterpreting his things that undermine him publicly. A lot of people are reinterpreting the word of God today to suit their own needs, you know? One of the things that you all have going for you that makes, you know, your, your body life safe is that your pastor takes you through the Bible and he takes you through verse by verse. He doesn't skip over passages he doesn't like. He doesn't jump from, you know, chapter one to chapter 15. At least the last time I looked, you didn't, right? I listened to him on the radio too. But he takes you through, and one of the reasons he does it is for the same reason that the Lord led me to this movement of churches, because there's safety in that. I lived in churches where pastors would reinterpret scripture to fit their needs, and they built a topical sermon around it, so by the time you got done, it was like, oh, that makes sense, until you start looking at the scriptures in their context. And you realize, that isn't what Jesus said. That's not at all what he said. You see, I would argue that that's exactly working against the bridegroom, and that's not to be our call. And, and, and again, for us, maybe one of the most common things is just like a woman who can do that too to her husband is that, you know, we can talk about him to others in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And how do we do that? You know, I'm always reminded of, of um, Aaron when, when Aaron's sons, um, Nadab and Abihu, had gone in. You know the story, right? They went in, they offered strange fire, and then God took their lives. And I don't know if you remember this. A lot of people miss this passage. But right after that, Moses, uh, God comes to Moses and he says, tell Aaron tell Aaron not to put on his morning clothes. I'm paraphrasing this for you. Okay, don't put on his morning clothes. Tell him to wash his face and to move on. And you know why I told him that? Because what he was saying is, don't make me a bad God. Don't present me to the people as a bad God because of what's going on. Now, I got to tell you how many times, and I, I'm a guy that says, you know what? If you're having a bad day, I don't want you to come up and put a false smile and say, I'm having a great day. You know, everybody's asked me today, how are you doing? It's like, not too good. This has been a rough day. But you know what? What I will not do is pin that blame on the Lord in any way. We're going to have rough days. We can have rough seasons of life. And, and it's okay for us to be honest with people, not to burden people with it, but to be honest with people so that they can come alongside of us and pray for us and be there for us. But at no time should we present it in such a way that it's like, I don't know why the Lord's doing this to me. When people say that to me, well, you know, why is the Lord doing this to me? And my answer always is, why not? I've been known to say that to people who've lost a loved one that have died. Well, I don't understand why God took my, my husband, why he had to get cancer. And I looked at a wife one time and I said to her, I said, why not him? Why not? I said, I mean that not disrespectfully, but why not? 
What precludes him from doing that? What makes God bad because he did that? Because it has affected your life. You see that as bad, but you don't know what God has done. You don't know what reason he's done it for. You don't know what he's working through it. Some of the best messages, honestly, I don't have too many messages. I consider good ones that I've preached over these. I'm probably my hardest critic. But I would say one of the, the, the most blessed times of preaching is at funerals. And I had the opportunity to preach a funeral where I saw 50 people come to Christ out of, out of the 150 sitting there, 50 people. And, and it came that way because the young lady who had died, she was a mom, had a, a son of four years old, and she had leukemia. And she had separated from her husband and come out of remission while she was down. She was living with her aunt and uncle, and they were in our church. And they wanted me to come over, and they were witnessing to her, and I was trying to do it, and she wasn't receiving it. And three weeks before she died, she came to Christ. And I mean, she came to Christ. And we had the opportunity in that day, as hard as that was for her four-year-old son, as hard as it was for her husband who she reconciled with before her death, as hard as it was for them, there was joy in their face because they got to watch people come to Christ through the casket, through the casket. There were more people reached through a person who had gone on to be with the Lord than were being reached by her when she was alive or by many of us in our lifetime. So we don't know what the Lord is doing, but we can't work against him because we don't. We have to be very careful about it. The idea is that we just be subject to the Lord, right? Look at verse 13. We are not going to get through these all tonight, just so you know that. So if you're looking at this and saying, at this rate, it's going to be midnight. So we'll just kind of call it quits at a certain point. And you, can, you know the flow here tonight, right? What's that? We don't have a window. No one's going to fall out. Okay, cool. Great. That'll work for me. You know, I'm, I've been known to go two hours. So. <laughs> verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Fourthly, she counsels him to seek out a woman who is hardworking and who works hard of her own free will. And I think that's important, not just that she's a hard worker, but that she works hard from her own free will. She wants to do it. She's willingly working with her hands, and that's the godly woman. She's not afraid of work. She's continually seeking out. The implication is she's seeking out the materials that she needs to do the work because she wants to do that for her family. As Christ's bride, we should be like this woman, industrious, hardworking, resourceful. Too many Christians are not fulfilling their spiritual responsibility in this regard, but instead they're just lazy and then they're living this, this life uh, where the work is being done by others in the kingdom, but they have no desire to lift a finger. Now, again, don't take this the wrong way, okay? This is not some preacher standing up here saying, you better get off the seat and get working. You better do that. You know, I'll let Rob do that with you. But, you know, I've learned a long time ago not to do that with people. I don't even do that in our congregation. I leave them in the hands of the Lord. But I would look at you as your brother. And, and as a pastor who cares for the sheep and say to you, you don't know what you're losing by not stepping out. You don't know what you're losing by just sitting on your hands. You don't know what you're losing. Now, again, this idea of being industrious and hardworking, it doesn't mean being busy. We, we confuse that in the church, too, you know. That's what I hate about a lot of these new books. I don't read a whole lot of new stuff these days because I think these authors are just pop authors and they're writing that things that draw attention, draw a crowd rather than the deep things of scripture. But, but that's the problem I have with a lot of these, these church growth kind of books and, and how churches ought to be working. And I'm thinking, why do I need to read a book to see how church works? Because the, the Bible tells me how it works. I don't need you to tell me. But, but so many times it's about being busy. You know, one was about you got to get, everybody has a base that they have to maintain. First base, second base, third base, fourth base, and everybody should be a player. And if you're not on your base, then you're not going to find your purpose. And it's like, what are you talking about? 
That's not what the scriptures talk about. We know that Mary, uh, Martha's, Martha's sister, right, was a hardworking, industrious woman, and yet, where was she found? At the feet of Jesus. And, and, and when she's written, just her sister's upset about it, what does he say? Martha, Martha, you're too distracted with too many things of serving, you know? Now, did Jesus not want her to serve? No, but he wanted to get the true heart of service. He wanted to have the true heart of service, and the true heart of service begins at the feet of Jesus. And, and Mary knew that. Mary knew that by being at Jesus' feet, you know what? Jesus could look at her and say, Mary, I need you to do this for me. Would you step out and go do that? And there would be no hesitation on her part to do that. I had to learn that in my life. You know, when I said before, when I came, I, I came to Calvary Chapel late in my Christian life, I'd already been a Christian for some, I don't know, 17, 18, 19, 20 years, something like that, before I ever walked into a Calvary Chapel. And everything in my life was about busyness. You know, I love to lead worship. I love to teach Sunday school. I mean, I enjoy doing those things, but you're always looking for something to do. And when I walked into my first Calvary Chapel, I remember walking up to my pastor after I knew this is where we were going to be, and I knew it 20 minutes in. I was so blessed by the teaching of the word. I didn't think churches did this. And I, I walked up to him within a couple of weeks, and I said, hey, you know what? I, I, <laughs> I'm gifted with music. You know, there, that tells you something, doesn't it? Right. And I said, if you need me ever to do worship or something like that, I'd be glad to do that. Or if you need somebody to teach Sunday school, I love to teach. I can do that, whatever you need. And he said, no, just take a seat. Just have a seat for a while. Just enjoy the Lord. I went home, looked at my wife, and I said, I love this church, but I don't think this is going to work out. She said, why? I said, I don't think there's going to be anything to do. I don't think they want us doing stuff. And I said, I don't know how that works. i got to be moving. So a month you know, goes by, two months go by, three months go by, six months go by, and I'm sitting there. Seven, eight, nine months, ten months later, pastor comes up to me one Sunday morning. He says, hey, Randy, he said, we could use some help in the worship team. Would you like to get up there and just sing? And I had to stop and think about it because I was so enjoying, not, not laziness, I was so enjoying being at the feet of Jesus that I had to think about it. But you know what? It only took me a second. Not because now I was jumping for something to do, but because I felt like the Lord said, I'd really like to have you do that. I'd like you to do that. Okay, Lord, I'll get up from my seat and I'll go over and do that. And I did that. And then two weeks later, he comes in. He says, hey, I don't want you to do that anymore. Why don't you sit down for a while? And you know what my response was? Cool. <laughs> cool. I'll sit down. Great. If you, great. I didn't even say if you need anything else. It didn't even cross my mind because I knew that when the Lord wanted to call me off the bench, he called me off the bench. But you know what? I didn't hesitate to go when he called me off the bench, but I went for the right reasons. And that's my encouragement to you. Don't get caught up in the busyness. You know, I don't know how new some of you guys are here in Cumberland. Don't, don't come looking for where you're going to plug in and do. Just come with a heart to be in the presence of your Lord, but to have a willingness to serve as your Lord calls you off the bench to serve. There'll be opportunities, and sometimes it'll be because he will show you things that maybe these guys haven't even asked you, but you're going to see a need in the body, and you're going to come to these guys and say, hey, you know what, is anybody doing that for that person over there and helping them with this? Would you like somebody to do that? Hey, great, great. Isn't it better when the Lord inspires our service and when we're inspiring our service? Because when we inspire our service, we perspire in our service, right? That's exactly what happens. The Lord never intended for you and me to be perspiring as we go. Praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. Well, let's go on. She says in verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is still yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. So fifthly, she tells them to seek out a woman who provides the nourishment that her family needs. Provide the nourishment that they need to get through the day. And this is a woman who's going to, you know, here we hear, she searches high and low for the kinds of foods that she's going to prepare. She's willing to even get up early and to, to, to prepare it. And she's ensuring that everyone gets fed before they start their day. And this is something that we should all be doing as Christ's bride for the household of faith, like, like, godly, like this godly woman in, in two ways. As his bride, Christ expects us to feed those that he's entrusted to, his, to our care. Now, again, you know, pastors say, I've been charged with feeding the flock that God has entrusted to me. You've been charged with feeding the flock that's been entrusted to you. That flock might be your kids. That flock could be somebody that the Lord has given you a relationship with that he wants you to feed. You look, you look in your life, I guarantee you, the Lord, and if you don't have somebody that the Lord has brought to you, he will if you ask him because he desires to use you in that way. And you know what? He's going to say, I'll give them and I'll put them in your care, but will you care for them? Will you feed them? Will you do what's necessary to feed them? You know, I, I, I love this passage and, and we know the backdrop to this. It's, it's Peter after, you know, his denial of Christ, but now Christ is resurrected and he's on the beach and there's Jesus. I always love those scenes. Jesus is always eating. You know, that's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. I like that. I can't eat for about a week, right? I'm going to be looking for the rapture. Right, that tooth will grow back and I'm going to eat everything I can get. But he says to Peter, and we know the context. We know it's a little bit different what I'm about to present to you. But listen to the heart of it because I think it goes right to this issue. So when they had eaten, this is in John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You hear Jesus saying that to you? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed those that I've entrusted to your care. We should be willing to rise however early it takes to get up and to, to prepare the food that's going to nourish our families. Getting up early to, to derive the food that we need to feed our families from the source of food, right? You know what I'm talking about? We need that time with the Lord. You're not going to feed your family properly. You're not going to feed those that God has entrusted to your care if you're not getting that time with him. I used to have, I hate early mornings. I still do. I tend to get up more than not unless I'm on any kind of medications that keep me from doing that. But I've learned over the years, I think it was the army years, I hate to get, you were always up at 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning to be out on a PT field in the cold and I have no idea why they wanted to do that. We could have did that easily in the evening after work, you know? <laughs> but they didn't want to listen to me. So a lot of times I would cut it and I got myself into trouble for doing that, especially when I was a company commander. But, um, you know, I just have learned this discipline in my life later. And it's not to say it needs to be in the morning. I'm not saying that. But I will tell you this. I used to say, well, you know what? The Jewish morning starts when? In the evening. So therefore, when the scriptures tell me I'm to meet with the Lord early in the morning, like David says, early I'll seek thee. To me, that was, hey, I'll see him after supper. That's early, right? But the Lord really put on my heart, no, that's not really what I want. What I really want is undivided time. Now, undivided time can be very different for different people based on your circumstances. But for most of us, the truth is, the undivided time is early. 
It's when you're getting up and, 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 and the commotion in your household isn't going on. You don't have to answer emails to people maybe that you owe responses to because if you sent them one and their phone went off at the hour you do this, they'd probably be mad at you anyways and say, don't do that anymore. You know, so, so I've just learned that practice of getting up early and spending time with the Lord and hearing his voice. But you know what? As I'm doing that, I'm getting that food, not just for me, but he's putting it in my hands because he's the one that hands us the loaves. He's broken them. He's just giving them to us. We're just distributing, right? That's our job. But we're getting it from him. We're up. We're like this woman. We're rising early. We're prepared to get it from him. We should be willing to go to any length necessary to procure the right spiritual food needed to nourish those whom Christ has entrusted to our care, like this woman's willing to go. Here's a for example. How far are you willing to drive to get your family a good spiritual meal. I don't know how far some of you come. I will tell you this, in our fellowship, we draw from a very big area because of where we sit in Hagerstown. It's amazing, we see very few people from Hagerstown, which we haven't yet figured out. We do outreach, we've just seen very little interest in the city of Hagerstown proper, but that location in, Harris, in, in Hagerstown has opened us up to Martinsburg, where we see a slew of people coming. It's opened us up to Boonesboro, where we see a slew of people coming. We get it from Chambersburg, where I live, right? And the people in Chambersburg say, well, if he drives that far every day to go down to Jersey, we can certainly come down a couple of times a week. And they drive down. But you know what? They're not coming because I do it or they're not doing it because, you know, somebody else is. They're doing it because they're coming for a good meal. They're coming to get that. They're coming for a good meal. And, you know, we learned that in our lives when we would move into a community. Sometimes we would drive. We had no problem driving 35, 40, 45 minutes because we do that to go to a mall. And one day we looked at ourselves, we would, we would drive, when we lived in Louisiana at one point, we used to drive two and a half hours into Houston to go to the mall. And I'm thinking to myself, why wouldn't we drive 40 minutes to church? Why would we think that's too far if there's good food there being served? Now, if there's a place and the Lord's serving it closer and that's where he's calling you, then you do that. But I'm just saying, sometimes it shouldn't be about the distance we go. It should be about the meal that we're getting and that we're providing. You following? You try to strike with this? Okay. If I put you to sleep, you tell me, right? I won't be offended. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it from her prophets. She plants a vineyard. Six, she advises him to seek out a keen businesswoman, someone who knows how to manage her family's resources and who seeks to invest those resources in ways that it will yield a profit. And that, again, should characterize the bride of Christ, as we should all be astute managers of the resources our bridegroom entrusts to us, always seeking to invest. This is more, this is stewardship, but it's even beyond that. This is the idea that, that not only are we going to be faithful with what we have, but we're going to invest what we have in faithful ways. You see, we're not going to sit on it. We're not going to do like, you know, guys, we don't, we don't have time tonight, so we can go there. But you know the story of the parable of the talents, right? You remember the parable of the talents and the guy who has the one, what's he do? He goes out and he buries it. You know, and he thinks, I'm doing good. And the, the, the master comes back and everybody's giving him theirs. And it didn't matter to the master how little somebody invested as long as they did it faithfully. This guy did nothing. He just sat on it. He just sat on it. I thought he was going to get a reward. And he didn't get a reward. He got a rebuke. You see, what kind of talents are we bearing and just sitting on? And we should be investing. You see, every time you read a passage like this or you come to a point like this, everybody thinks you're talking about money. Well, maybe it is for you. If it bothers you or that jumps to your mind, then maybe I've just touched on something that you ought to take a look at in your life. But at the same time, it's about far more than money. It's about your time, right? It's about the, the stuff you own beyond your money. It's about you. It's about you. How are you investing the greatest resource of all that the Lord has given you? Your life. Your 
life. I was just, when we were recording this morning, it comes to mind, but we were recording out of Ephesians 5, and, and Paul's talking, you know, and, and he talks about redeeming the time, redeeming the time. And, and, and one of the points the Lord had put on my heart as I was sharing that was, you know what? He redeemed the time for us. He went to the cross to redeem the time for us so that we could be redeemed. And you know what? Now it's our turn to turn around and redeem the time for him. To invest our lives, not in us, but in him and his things. And watch the profit that will come from that for him. And in the end, the blessing that will come to your own life as he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Look on, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Seventh, she counsels him to seek a woman who has a, a healthy attitude towards work and, and one that works energetically, not just willingly, but she works energetically. Literally, that's what it means when it says she girds her loins with strength and, and that she works with vigor, one who isn't afraid of hard work. And again, that, that, that should be us. We shouldn't be afraid of hard work. We shouldn't be afraid of, of, of vigorous engagement in the things that the Lord has called us to do for him. We're told that we're to serve not by compulsion, but willingly, right? That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 2. And, and we're to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, as Colossians 1.11 tells us. And as Paul encourages us, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, as he teaches in Romans 12.11. And as the writer of Hebrew tells us, Therefore, strengthen in the hands with hang, which hang down and the feeble knees and, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. See, we're to strengthen those arms that hang down even in our own life and to raise them back up into that vigorous, energetic willingness to serve the Lord as he would have us serve him, just like this woman. He says in verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. So eighth, she advises him to find a woman who is a consummate planner. She's a consummate planner. The statement that her lamp does not go out by night literally means that she plans ahead. And as Christ's bride, we should be a people that thoughtfully and prayerfully plan ahead. Now, sadly, there are too many in the body of Christ who live a day-to-day -day existence. That's all they live, a day to day. Now, I'm not taking away from what Jesus says, because I know Jesus is, hey, today has enough trouble of its own. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, that's not what I'm talking about here. But I'm talking about this kind of attitude that says, well, I'll get around to it tomorrow. You know, I'll get around to it tomorrow. But if we had all the get arounds to it, when we know the Lord has told us to do it now, you know, how different it would be in our lives. How much more would be accomplished within the kingdom as he would direct us to. But so often I find myself even saying, even now as a pastor, yeah, I know that needs to be done, Lord, but you know what? Maybe tomorrow. You know, I'm tired. I had a tooth pull. Maybe tomorrow. I wanted to say that today. Maybe another time. You know what? But the Lord said no today. Will you do it today? Will you go today? So I planned my day accordingly. I planned it. I planned the nap after this was over. I planned the timing of medication so I wouldn't be, you know, standing in front of you with some kind of narcotic in my system. You know, I don't like to do that. You would have heard real things from God with that, you know. <laughs> Open the horizons. No, I don't want to do that. You know, it's bad enough I got a couple of Motrin in me tonight. I don't even like doing that. I used to hear Pastor Chuck always say that, you know. He said, I don't remember a time he used to say that when I got into the pulpit that I ever had even a Tylenol in me. I can't say that, but I can say that I'm very careful about planning the day so that things that I do won't interfere with the Lord is calling me to do. We're to be planners in that sense, you see. There's nothing wrong with it. 
You know, I always remember in Proverbs 30, 25, when it says the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. You know, the idea is that we're constantly doing these things. You see, clear, clearly planning is not wrong. It's, it's actually part of being a good steward of the things that God has entrusted to us as we ultimately entrust those plans to the Lord. But that's the key. We need to entrust our plans to the Lord and not press on with our ideas. That's the difference between the wrong kind of planning and the right kind of planning. You know, it's kind of like we do as, as a board in our fellowship, and I'm sure it's the same here. You know, we lay our plans for the year, but then we look at each other and say, now whatever the Lord wants. Now whatever the Lord wants, you know? We lay our budget for the year. It's kind of like, okay, this is our idea, but he might have another idea, so let's submit it to him, and we'll listen to the boss, and we'll do what the boss tells us to, right? Um, Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. I like how the New Living Translation says that. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. You say, when we're not committing to him, oh, we might get some success, but it won't last. When we commit our plans to him, then it's lasting. And it works. He says in Proverbs 19.21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. That's that idea. I plan, but I turn around and I say to the Lord, now what do you want? What do you want? Is this good? Is this what your Holy Spirit put on my heart? Is this what you're asking me to do? Or is, do you want to take a detour and a turn? Paul wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia, right? But what's it say in the scriptures in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit forbid him. We don't see Paul going, no, I'm going to Asia and Bithynia. What's Paul do? He just starts changing direction. He gets bounced again. And where does he end up going? Macedonia, come over here. Come over here, you see. And the important thing of planning of, of all that, that we are encouraged to do is in regard to our spiritual future. You know what? That's the one thing you don't want to fall down on your planning, your spiritual future. That's one thing we're commanded in the scripture to plan for, right? You know the story of the virgins and the oil, right? So we're not going to get into that because there's a whole lot of interpreting to do with that that we just don't have time for tonight. But there clearly is a message in that. You know, there were those that just didn't plant enough oil in their lamps and they missed some things because of it. So we need to be careful, but to plan our spiritual future. Verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. So ninth, she counsels Lamuel to find a woman who, despite her busyness, she makes time for meeting the needs of others and especially who is there for those in need or help and those that are less fortunate. I am going to take a diversion here to you ladies and give you all a real compliment. I will tell you, I think you ladies are better at this than guys are. I have watched just my wife. I've seen women in our fellowship. They will stop everything. They may have plans laid. They may have all kinds of stuff that they're trying to accomplish. And somebody will come in with a need and they'll just throw it all out the window to take care of that need. I got to tell you, me, I get really focused and I'm a pastor. I get focused on, I got to get this done. If I don't get this done, I don't know when I'm going to get it done. The bride of Christ, he's saying, man, don't lose sight in the midst of ministry. Don't lose sight in the midst of, of, of the busyness of your lives as you're serving the Lord individually, even in your homes. Don't lose sight as you're raising your kids. Don't lose sight of the needs that are before you. You know, don't lose sight of the needs that are before you. I've learned that even in my own life with things that I possess. You know, I have learned that the stuff I possess, it's going to burn one day. But the people, they matter. I had a lady come in one time. We had just put new carpet in our family room. And this isn't a yay me, but it's to encourage you that I think it needs to be our attitude. But there was a lady that came in right after we did, and she spilled grape juice on this bright green carpet. You know how hard that is. And she just, you could see her melt 
when she did that. She knew it was new. She, you could see her melt. We were having communion when she did it in our living room. And I saw that, and I just looked over, and I said, eh, don't worry about it. She said, what do you mean don't worry about it? This is new. I'll go get a clean. Don't worry about it. Let's just keep going. Let's do what you came here for. Let's do this. I feel so bad. Don't. It's stuff. It's stuff. It's just stuff. But people aren't stuff. You see, even ministry is, is good stuff, right? Ministry is good stuff. Serving is good stuff. But people are the ones we're serving. And sometimes we can get focused on the wrong piece of this. We get so focused on the, the mission that we lose sight of the people. You say, used to have an expression in the army, mission first, people always. Mission first, people always. If we could do that in the army, why wouldn't we do that as Christians, you know, as the bride of Christ? That's his heart, because that's what Jesus did. He stopped everything, didn't he? He'd stop everything. He stopped because somebody touched the hem of his garment, turned around and said, who touched me? <laughs> who touched me? Why? He, he took a detour. He took a detour into Samaria to meet a woman at the well that none of his disciples would ever want to do. You know, go talk to a woman. You definitely don't talk to a Samarian. Besides, we got other stuff we got to be doing. Jesus, I want to talk to this woman. She needs, she needs a drink of, of real water. You see, we've been called to be those that would bring the water to the needs of people. In verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So tenth, she encourages him to find a woman who's always prepared for the storm. You know, the idea here is that the cold winter storm doesn't catch her off guard or cause her to panic because she wisely takes steps to prepare herself and her family for what may come. Do you see how these all interrelate? The planning, the thinking ahead, the kind of stuff that, that fits to this. But she does these things, and, and the reference to scarlet, linen, and purple indicates that she spares no expense in doing this. She doesn't hold anything back. The preparation she makes are thorough, and they're complete. And again, this is us as the bride of Christ. Didn't Jesus specifically rebuke those who failed to be attuned to the things that were coming? You know, he turns to them. He says in Matthew 16, verse 1 through 3, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. It will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. I was just talking about this with my brother tonight. I said, you know what? He said, you love prophecy. Don't you? I said, yeah, I love prophecy. I do. I'm not a prophecy fanatic. I don't, I don't get it out of balance to things. You could get that impression if I come down here and I kind of teach those things when I'm here as a guest. But you know what? I teach it within the balance. I got lots of the other stuff in the Bible I want to teach to people, but I look for opportunities to do it from time to time. But here's what I don't spend my time doing. I don't spend my time on, on worthless speculations. Oh, it's fun now and then to prod at them, but the truth is I really don't give that as much attention as I do what the scriptures tell us that we do have as a framework to the house. We don't know how the house is going to be built. Exactly. What it's going to look like. But we do know this. We do know the framework. And Jesus would say to us, we ought to know the time in which we live. That's why when somebody says to me, do you think we're living in time when Jesus would come? Do you honestly think he may come in our lifetime? Well, my first answer is I sure hope so. <laughs> my second answer is, yeah, I think so. But my third answer is, I don't know so. But I think so and I hope so. You know, I think so, and I hope so. But I think so, and I hope so, with some valid logic. Because I look at the world, and I see events aligning themselves with the things in the scriptures. 
And so I'm discerning. See, I'm discerning the signs of the times. Now, I don't know how quickly things will pass or how, how it'll speed up or slow down. We've seen that throughout history. But you know what? It's ramping up. We ought to know the signs of the times and, and prepare, not for the storm that we will go through, but prepare our hearts for the storm that others may go through, that we can clothe them, that we can bring them the gospel so that we will do the work. You know, my biggest fear right now for the church is, and this is not a political statement. If you knew my politics on this, you'd really see I'm pretty agnostic on this stuff. I just am. You know what? Kings come and kings go. God raises them up for his purpose. People say, you think the Lord, you know, has blessed us with, with Donald Trump? And my answer is, well, I don't know if he's blessed us with him, but I think he's put him on the throne. But he may not have put him there for what you think he's put him there for. Okay? So be very careful with that because you could be making assumptions that you could be very wrong on. But what I would look at people and say is, you know, we have a unique opportunity because at least for present, we have a president who is not messing with us. You know, he's not messing with us. But in the process of not messing with us, what I see Christians doing is they're wrapping themselves up in his world. They're wrapping themselves up in his world. When what we really ought to be doing is wrapping ourselves up in the Lord's world and taking advantage of the opportunity that we have been given. Taking advantage of the time that we have. Why? Because we're discerning the time. You see, I think a lot of Christians are not doing that. They're discerning things, and what they're discerning is America is going to be great again. But I'm discerning something well beyond America. And I'm looking and saying, I don't know if America's going to be great again. I don't think it's about America being great again. I think it's about God putting all the pieces in place for the end time scenario, what he's about to do on this earth. And you know what? There's a limited time between now and the time that judgment begins to fall on this earth. And, and praise the Lord, I believe with all of my heart from the scriptures that you and I will not be here when that judgment comes. We will be gone. We're not going through that storm. We're not going through that. But there are people who will. And we need to prepare them. We need to prepare their hearts. We need to lead them away from the storm if we can. But we also need to prepare some who may go through it because they're not ready yet to accept Jesus Christ. But you know what? We can lay the seeds that could very well lead to their salvation during the tribulation. And so we ought to be busy about our Father's business in this time. And so this is this woman. She's preparing for it. She's doing that. Don't make the mistake of missing that. And again, we don't need to fear the storms. We just need to prepare ourselves and our families for them. Storms in life are going to come and go. You know, even in our lives, people say, I don't understand the storm I'm in. Why are you surprised? Storms come and go. Are you looking to the one that's in the boat with you, who has the ability either to calm the storm or to enable you to walk on the water in the midst of the storm, right? Because he can do both. He can do both. Look on, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Eleventh, she counsels him to look for a woman who will enhance his position and his reputation. She's to, to look for, he's to look for a woman who will enhance his position and reputation. The gate was where the leaders uh, of a Jewish community would sit. They would sit there, and, and, and it was a sign of their advancement. It was a sign of their place in society. And even though a man's advancement and his position wasn't determined based on his wife, she most certainly could hinder it. <laughs> she most certainly could hinder it, just as that can be true today, right? We know that in many places, in many professions, you know. I mean, pastors' wives, they're held to a standard that I'm not sure is always fair. You know, I'm sorry. Here you go, right? Be nice to your pastor's wife, you know? Because I'm just telling you, sometimes we think they ought to be something. And I know because I used to not be a pastor. And I look at my pastor's wife and think she ought to be something different. You know what? She's you. She's you. The truth is your pastor is you. The difference is he's been called to lead you. He's out in front. And she's out in front too. But at the same time, 
they get up with the same problems. They get up with the same issues. They wake up in, in, in bad moods. They wake up in good moods, you know. They, they wake up with difficulties that they may never share with you. They make mistakes. You know what? Take it easy. You know, take it easy on them. If they're doing something wrong, that's another issue. But you know what? There's a biblical way of handling those things. And I guarantee you that those with right hearts are going to receive that. But at the same time, to understand that, you know what? We're, we're all... We're all in this. We're all in this. And, 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 and we can impact. And, but I do know, and where I was going with that is I do know that a pastor's wife can impact her husband's standing. I mean, if my wife started hanging out at the bars in Chambersburg, you know, and the neighbor saw her hanging out at the bars in Chambersburg and smoking cigars, now you're really getting an image? Look at my wife, right? And think about that for a minute. Um, what would you think about me? What would begin to happen? Oh, granted, I'm the guy that the Lord has called. But you know what? It would undermine that call. It would undermine that call. A godly woman understands that. And she lives her life in a way that sets the stage for that. And the godly bride of Christ understands that. Understands what our actions can do to him. And to his standing. To his standing. Are we living in a way that, that, that Jesus is being promoted? Or are we living in a way that, that Jesus is, is being undermined because of our behaviors, because of our attitudes, because of our choices that we make in this life? You know, David was chastised for his actions because they impeded the Lord's reputation among a watching world. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 through 15, it says, So David said to Nathan, this is after his sin with Bathsheba, right? And he's been confronted. He's heard the story from Nathan. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Good news, David. The Lord's forgiven you. All he wanted was your repentance. That's what he wanted, David. Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? Because David recognized that, hey, you, it wasn't sacrifice and offerings that you wanted. It wasn't the rituals. What you wanted was my heart. You wanted repentance. You want me to be broken before you. And so he says, man, you're going to be forgiven. But he says this, and this should sting our hearts. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I got to tell you, I look back over my life. And there have been times when I have given the enemies of the Lord the ammunition that they needed. <laughs> you know, I, I, they, they didn't pick up the gun and shoot. I gave them the ammunition that they needed to shoot at the Lord. I undermined him in their eyes by my own actions. And we can do that. And that's why Paul tells us that our attitudes will do that if we're not careful. He says in Romans chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Our lives should reflect a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of behaving that would enhance our Lord's standing amongst men. Now, that, then it becomes a matter between him and them. If they choose to reject him, at least it won't be because we got in the way. You know, while I say oftentimes to people, they'll say, you know, we've all heard the adage, right? How many people have heard this? You know, why well, would I don't go to church? I, don't, I have no interest in Christianity because there's just too many hypocrites in the church, Right? Fine, fine. You know what? 
it's easy to blow that off and turn it around because the first thing I look and say, well, you know what, the world is full of hypocrites, but, but you're going to be judged individually for the choice that you make, regardless of us. But yet at the same time, I know this. I don't believe that as believers we're, we're true hypocrites, but we do hypocritical things. And I do believe as we do hypocritical things, even though, yes, it will still be between that person and the Lord, we'll have blood on our hands. Because of those hypocritical things, we've impacted, you see. Now, the solution isn't for us to get up again and to say, well, I'm going to live a, a non-hypocritical life tomorrow. No, the answer is to focus your life on the Lord and, and to be open to his Holy Spirit's work in your life and, and to learn to say, yes, I will, I will, Lord. Lead me, I will. Strengthen me, I will. And, and watch what he'll do. He will, he will lead you into life where you will not live a hypocritical life before others. You won't live in a way that will get him blasphemed before others. Let's do one or two more, and I think we'll stop then. He says in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. So 12, she advises them to seek out a woman who is both skilled and productive. We looked at this again. This is the idea as the bride of Christ that we're to be skilled and productive. We're to be skilled first and foremost in what? The handling of the word of God, right? We're told that in the scripture. We're to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. All of us, all of us should be able to do that. We're also to apply our spiritual skills to be productive workers in God's kingdom. Again, living fruitful lives as we previously discussed. He says in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. So 13, she counsels him to seek out a woman of inward beauty. Although we know from verse 22 that she doesn't ignore her outward appearance. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The greater beauty she concerns herself with is inward. Peter says the same thing to women, doesn't he? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they will, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. There is no greater beauty than inward beauty. There is no greater beauty than inward beauty, and there is no greater beauty in the body of Christ, in the bride of Christ, than an inward beauty, a beauty that's in our hearts. See, we can put on all the trappings. We can, well, I won't say we'll dress up and come to church because it's Calvary Chapel, right? So we don't dress up to come to church, but you know what? We can put on all kinds of external dressings, Looking one way when we come into fellowship with other believers, but walking back out and living a completely different way on Monday through Friday and Saturday, you know? We can put on all the trappings of, of the words we use, the way we say things, you know? We got all the Christianese down. We've got, we can seem so spiritual, but yet we're kind of like those cups sometimes that Jesus spoke of. The outside's clean, but the inside, man, it's just, it's filthy. You know, it's filthy. And the Lord desires an inward beauty from us. He, he would rather have the inward beauty. He'd rather have your heart than have all kinds of external trappings. He would rather have that. That's why people come to me. And I hope I don't step on any kind of sacred cow here. I don't mean to. But, and, and please understand my heart on this. But people will come to me and say, you know what, Pastor? I smoke. And I'll say, okay. And say, do you think it's scriptural? I said, well, you know what? It's, it's not an issue uh, of some definitive scripture that says thou shalt not smoke. You know, do I think it's good for us to do that? No, I don't think it's great for us to do that. But at the same time, you know what the Lord wants? He wants your heart. Just come, let him have your heart. Let him have your heart. And let's see where that takes you. You know what? 
When he got my heart, there was a lot of stuff that got left behind, but I didn't put on the outward trappings of forcing myself to make all kinds of external changes first. I left him change my heart first. Now look, blatant sin is blatant sin. If you're walking in blatant sin, we're clearly commanded to repent, right? So this is not an issue. Oh, okay, well, that means I can go sleep around because I'm doing that. Anyways, I'm sleeping around, and you know what? He wants my heart, so I'll give him my heart, and when he tells me to stop sleeping around, I will. No, because that's very clear in the scriptures, right? That's something he tells us. Walk away from that. Trust me in that. Walk away, and I'll meet you there. You know, I tell couples that are living together outside of marriage, you know, it, it, it grieves me when I see that because I, I know that's not what God's best is for them. And they'll say to me, but we're living together, and it's so hard because we're so intertwined. I say that before marriage because I won't marry a couple that are living together at the time. What I will say is move apart. And let's come to counseling. And over that time, you stay apart. Go find a family member that'll take you in or whatever, you know. But move apart, and then we'll have the marriage, and then you can do this right. Well, you don't know, understand. We're, our finances are now tied. And then my question is, well, then why do you want to do this here? Why do you want to do this here? Well, we want to be married in the sight of God. Well, if you want to be married in the sight of God, then we want to do it right. You know, if you just want to be married, then, then go down to the justice of the peace. You want to be married sight of the God, because what God wants is your heart. He wants this. So, so, you know what? Part of it, though, is repentance. And so you repent of that, and now let's, let's let the Lord do the work that he's going to do, and, you, and trust him in that. So when it comes to sin, blatant sin in the scriptures, absolutely, repent and walk away. Repent and walk away and trust the Lord. He'll meet you there. But when it comes to all the other stuff where we could put on the trappings and force ourselves into things, that maybe it's not necessarily sin, but it may not be just the best for us at this time, let him have your heart. Let him have it. Let him have it and see where he'll take you from that. Everybody tracking yet? All right. He says next, he says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. So she, he, she tells him 14th to go find a woman whose speech is filled with wisdom, with kindness and with grace. Boy, I need to say anything about that to us? You know, Scripture is, resounds with, with admonitions of our speech, right? What does it say? Speech always, uh, Colossians 4, 6. Speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Not salty, but seasoned with salt. There is salty language in this world. But there's to be salt in what we say. Salt that makes men and women thirst for right things, you see. Grace that touches their heart in the things that we say that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And Paul tells Titus, you know, like, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. You see, this verse I always liked, it's, out of context, so I'll just tell you that up front. If I take a verse out of context, I always tell people I just did it, why I like it. So I'll do it, because I think it works. But in Matthew 26, 73, remember Peter? He's sitting around the fire. You were with him. You were, you were one of his disciples, weren't you? And I wasn't with him. Curse, curse. I wasn't with him, right? And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Now, why it's out of context when they say that is they're picking up he's a Galilean. See, they're picking that up. But I would look at you and say, our speech ought to betray us as having been with Jesus. Our speech should betray us as having been with Jesus, as being his. We don't need the religious language, but grace and salt in it will betray us in a heartbeat that we belong to the Lord. 
Verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Again, no laziness in the body of Christ. Her children, verse 20, 28, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. The godly woman lives a praiseworthy life. Praiseworthy life. Her children look to her life and they see things worth emulating in their own lives and they praise her for it. But, but what's the secret to that praiseworthy nature of her life? Here's where we'll conclude. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. She is praiseworthy because she is a woman who is living her life in such a way that it reflects her fear of the Lord. Her whole life, her whole way of operating reflects her fear of the Lord. That's to be the bride. We're not striving for some pattern of living. We're not striving some behavioral modification. What we're doing is we're looking to live in such a way that we're living in fear of the Lord, not fearful of him, but that we revere him, that we're in awe of him, and that we're in awe of everything that he's done for us. That alone should stir us to these things, to an open heart through which the Holy Spirit can work and enable us to be this kind of bride. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight and we bless your name and Lord, we can be such imperfect brides and yet you picked us. Lord, you, you called us and Lord, we've responded and we've come. Lord, just change us. Make us bride, a bride for you, Lord, that would be virtuous in all of these other attributes, Lord, but not through our effort, but through what you're able to do in us because we have made you the passion of our lives. Share what our lives are now about because we've died to self and we're alive to you. Because you are living in us. Lord, let your Holy Spirit produce the kind of fruit in us that would make us this purposeful, this diligent, this willingly serving, this absolutely inwardly beautiful bride that Lord you would find pleasing thank you Lord that what you put up with it with us but thank you Lord for what you can do in us help us to yield to you so that you can how we praise you tonight and we do thank you Lord and it's in your name we pray amen I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called and you were called to be his bride. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. I have absolutely overextended my welcome, but I thank you for it. I do every time I come. I know I always say that at the end, but thank you. And thank you, Pastor Robbie.